trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, LawPay. If you are a new attorney or a law student, you're probably wondering where most of the jobs are. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Valerie Fontaine, a Los Angeles legal search consultant, about what areas are hiring new lawyers and what sort of skills they're looking for. Welcome to the show, Valerie. Thank you. Glad to be here. So for law students who maybe don't know, they have a sense of kind of what they want to do, but they may not have a specific practice in mind yet and are open to suggestions. What are some practice areas that you think need lawyers now and will continue to need lawyers in the next few years, new lawyers who maybe don't have a lot of experience practicing law? Well, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, hot practice areas and cold practice areas change over time and depending on a variety of factors such as the economy, new laws, technology changes, and the social and political climate. What I'm going to be talking about today is kind of what is hot right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, I would say the number one area of practice that's hot is intellectual property. And that can be either patent prosecution or litigation. So that's more transactional or litigation in IP. Also, IP can be either hard or soft. And hard is more the scientific, like technical. And you need to have a technical background and scientific background for that, such as an EE or computer science or even biotech or physics. And soft IP is things like copyright, trademark licensing, and new media. And you don't have to have a technical degree for that. Mm -hmm. There is a real demand for that because there's just so much technological advancement and also, you know, an explosion of um, new media kind of content and, you know, with uh, the music sharing and, and all the online streaming and everything that's going on. And it just changes so rapidly. And uh, that gives call for a lot of lawyers in this area. And of course, in California, it's very hot because we've got, you know, the Silicon Valley, and then we've got Southern California, which is close to the content development with, uh, you know, all the studios and things here. But of course, it's also strong across the country or there are other sort of Silicon beaches, valleys, alleys, whatever across the country where um, IP is hot. So I would say that that's the number one area. And that's pretty constant because we're never going to go backwards. We're always going to go forwards in terms of, you know, technological advances and development. So do you have a sense now that if you are a software engineer or you you have that work experience, could this be a good time for you to go to law school? Oh, absolutely. I'd say people with technical backgrounds, especially EE and computer science and engineering backgrounds, not so much mechanical, though that, you know, that's kind of old economy, but that's still a need for that. Those people are really in demand. And if you have that scientific background with a law degree, you can become a member of the patent bar. And there are a lot of opportunities for you. It depends upon whether you're a sort of a life sciences person or a computer person or an engineering person. There are different geographical areas and different places where those particular disciplines are in more demand. But 
but having that combination is quite valuable and it will help you stand out from the millions, I'm exaggerating, but thousands of new attorneys that are being minted every year. And do you think if you have that actual work experience, would it be worth your time to get an LLM in patent law too? Or is it something maybe you don't need because you have that work experience? I would say that the LLM isn't necessarily important. Actually, what the clients are looking for is they're looking for the advanced degree in the hard science. Mm. I would say having your master's or your PhD is in the particular science is actually more valuable than having the LLM. I see. And what was the other practice area you were going to tell me about that's hot right now? I was going to jump into corporate transactions. Mm-hmm. Right now, corporate work is quite hot. During the recession, we just could not sell a corporate attorney to save our souls. Mm-hmm. Transactional attorneys in corporate and real estate were being let go because it just wasn't happening in the economy. But right now, with the economy doing so well, the corporate and real estate attorneys are in great demand. California is more of a middle market focus compared to New York because we don't have as many headquarters of major firms here in California. However, there is definitely corporate work to be done and a lot of emerging company work to be done in California. What's interesting, I think, is that in New York, there are so many different flavors of corporate law. It's much more narrowly focused. Someone's either doing hedge fund or certain kind of lending or just securitizations or, you know, having a real specialty because there's so much high-level corporate work being done. While litigators are kind of If you're a litigator, you can do any kind of litigation in New York. In California, it's the opposite. The transactional corporate people are much more generalists. They do corpus and securities and M&A and fund and all those things. A little, these are generalizations, but much more. While our litigators are very thinly sliced, you have your labor litigators, your environmental litigators, you know, your toxic tort versus your product liability litigators. All, you know, it's much because LA, especially, is a litigation town. That's where the strongest area of practice is. And uh, litigation is still also hot. And you mentioned going back to the corporate practice picking up. Is it much like with the IP if you have graduate work and or work experience in finance or maybe accounting? Does that give you an edge to getting hired as a lawyer in those areas? Yes, and again, it's something that helps you stand out from the crowd, especially if you're a tax lawyer. They ask for tax LLMs much more and tax accountants much more often. That's when we ask specifically for that background. Mm -hmm. But in corporate work, having an MBA is nice, but having corporate background, actually doing the finance work, actually doing it from the business side is even better. Mm. So being able to see the work from the business side, from the client's point of view, is a, a very good qualification to have and that will set you apart from the pack. And I would imagine that if you had that work experience, you might have some good connections from that time before law school. Can you talk to us a bit about how 
new lawyers can use individual connections to try and find work. And maybe there's some connections that many wouldn't think about right away, but there could be a really good connection to helping them find a job. Absolutely. When you're looking for a job, you have to use all the connections you have. You never know where you're going to meet somebody who knows somebody who can make a connection for you to a job. So, you know, the joke I like to say is, you know, parents of friends and friends of parents is always a good place to go. But someone who actually has work experience, it's even better because you have those connections yourself. And you can reach out to people who are in the company where you used to work or who have moved on to other companies. So as your friends and previous coworkers continue on in their careers and move on to other companies, that actually expands your network. And today with LinkedIn and other social media ways to continue to stay in touch with people, there's no reason to let those people out of your network at any point. And what's your advice on following up once you reach out on LinkedIn and maybe grab coffee? First of all, my recommendation is, you know, I think informational interviews are always terrific. Never directly ask for a job because then if you say, do you have a job for me? The answer is no. End of conversation. So Mm -hmm. basically you say, I am exploring opportunities. I'd love to pick your brain. Do you have any suggestions or ideas for me? You don't even take a resume with you when you first meet with them because that's like putting them on the spot, asking them Mm -hmm. for a job. You're just Mm -hmm. asking them for their advice. People like to be experts. They like to talk about themselves and what they know, and they would like to help you because they want to show you that they know what they're talking about. Later, you can follow up and say, great meeting you, talking with you today. Just thought I'd shoot you my resume in case it gives you any other ideas of suggestions for me and feel free to pass it along to anyone that you see fit. And that's another way to sort of spread the word Mm -hmm. and have somebody kind of sponsor that connection for you. I want to jump back to something you said about friends of parents and parents of friends. Do you have any advice, say that you're a parent of someone who's graduated from law school in 2018, do you have any advice on how the parent might be able to help them find a job or is it something the parents should absolutely stay out of and let the kid do their own thing? Okay, so that is um, an interesting question because Uh I hear so many people talk about helicopter parents and, you know, Uh I know that I don't want to be contacted as a recruiter by someone's parent or have a parent come with them to an interview. It's like, my goodness, you're a grown-up. You need to be doing it on your own. But the thing is that you're most likely the child has gotten to know the family friend along the way, or the parent can just say, oh, you know, Joe just graduated from law school, and, uh, you know, he's looking around. And then Joe can reach out, the kid can reach out Mm -hmm. and say, oh, you know, I just graduated from law school. I know you do whatever it is. I'm really interested in what it is you do. Can I have a conversation to just, you know, get your words of wisdom? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... It's not for the parent to do the work. It's Mm -hmm. for the student to do the work. It's just don't discount your friends of parents or parents of friends. Don't Mm -hmm. your parents absolutely should not be doing the work for you. That's actually to your detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, I think that career fairs come up a lot for law students and new graduates, but even still, I don't know if people use them the way they should all the time. Or What's your advice about career fairs? Well, career fairs is a great place to gather information. 
It may not necessarily lead you to a job, but my feeling is you use any avenue that's open to you. If an employer is at a career fair, they're there because they want to meet people and they're looking for a new crop of uh, bright, young recruits. So absolutely, you go, and you go like you are going to an interview. You are dressed appropriately. You have a pile of resumes with you. You are using your you know, interview etiquette when you meet people, you know, shaking hands, looking at them in the eye, answering questions. You know, obviously be yourself, smile. They want to hire people they like, but this is serious business going to a career fair. Consider it, you know, like speed dating interviewing. Okay. That's what you're doing. So I would use everything that's available to me, and, you know, it's, it's a way for you to learn more about the employers and opportunities out there just as much as it is a way for them to learn more about what possible recruits are out there for them. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about career fair pitfalls, perhaps, if you can call it that. We'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com slash podcast to sign up and get your first three months free. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Warren. And on today's episode of ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, we're speaking with legal search consultant Valerie Fontaine about where the jobs are for new lawyers and how they can go about getting them. So with the career fairs, I think for some of these students, it's the first time they've been to a career fair. Are there like common complaints you hear from employers who go to the career fairs about mistakes students make? Well, since we work with experienced lawyers only and we don't place brand new lawyers, the employers really are not talking to us about career fairs. But I can talk to you about the mistakes that employers do complain about with uh, new lawyers in interviews. Mm-hmm. And one is not taking it seriously enough, not dressing appropriately, not understanding that when you go into an interview, you need to let the employer know what value you can offer to them, how you can help them solve their business problems. They aren't necessarily interested in what you want and what's going to make you happy, other than to the extent it's going to make you a good employee for them. So what you want to be talking to them about is what are the things in your background that are going to be a benefit to them? What classes have you taken? What experiences have you had? What problems have you solved? You want to show them that you have given some thought into who they are, what their business is, and how you can fit in and be a plus for them. Okay. And I know we've talked about how students can prepare in terms of while they're in law school to be ready to practice in an area that is hiring. I'm curious too, I mean, there, you know, there are these markets that are growing, but also so many employers even that are doing well don't want to hire new lawyers. And I'm curious, is it about having some experience in this practice area or is a lot of it about being likable? I mean, being someone they can trust and presenting really well in an interview. 
Well, it's very important to present well in an interview because they're thinking about whether they can introduce you to a client and how you're going to interact with their clients. So that's, you know, number one. Number two, uh, some corporate clients are just not very interested in paying high hourly fees for inexperienced lawyers. They don't want to be paying for the training of junior lawyers. So somebody who goes into an interview who looks very prepared, in other words, they have researched the law firm, they understand what they do, their place in the market, that sort of thing, that helps the employer see the kind of lawyer this law student is going to be, that it's not all about, you know, feed it to me, a sense of entitlement. Well, that's a, going back to your previous question, one of the biggest complaints that I hear is a sense of entitlement and a mm-hmm. sense of having to have everything spoon-fed to them. So someone who shows that they take initiative, that they're ahead of the game, that they are thinking about the experiences and the classes they've taken and showing how that translates into skills and abilities and useful attributes for the employer. And I know you've talked about intellectual property law and corporate work as being areas that are hot right now for attorneys getting jobs. What are some other areas that you're seeing success in? Well, some of the emerging areas are privacy and cybersecurity. And those are things I think that young lawyers can or junior lawyers can really excel in because They are new, which means there are not a lot of lawyers out there who are experts in this area. They're trying to become experts in this area, just like a new lawyer can become an expert in this area. So, you know, using their interest, experience, and comfort with new methodologies and technologies is a really good thing. So if a candidate can go in and say, I've taken these classes in privacy or um, cybersecurity. I'm really interested in this area. I've done some reading about it. I've written some papers about it, that sort of thing. That would excite a firm that's looking to really grow that area. So that is one area that is sort of growing out of sometimes litigation, sometimes corporate practices, but, you know, data breaches are huge in the news now, and so there's a lot of legal work that's involved in that, and the older or more experienced lawyers are scrambling to get that expertise, so you're on more of an equal footing in that area. Other areas that are sort of new and emerging are, I would say, anything that's a new legislative scheme, so as Healthcare develops. You know, the healthcare lawyers are scrambling to keep up with the Obamacare reboots or, you know, what's going to happen there. Another area that's going to change is tax because the new tax legislation. And so everything the tax lawyers knew is going to change so a new lawyer can use their background in maybe accounting or finance and all of the classes they took in law school and show their thinking ahead about it. Other areas that are sort of new might be drone law, and that's developing because all the new uses for drones. In California and other places, there's the cannabis, and there are law firms that are creating cannabis groups. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, you're talking about growing as a pun. That's a growing area. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I would say anything that is sort of trailblazing, like alternative energy, as those technologies change, 
So, you know, I, I would look for areas that the experienced lawyers are also scrambling to have to learn. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good idea. I'm curious, too, for the employers that do hire someone as a new lawyer, do you think they're more interested in like what your class rank was and whether you were on law review or would they be more interested in maybe what your working background was before law school and, and how you present? They're interested in all of that. <laughs> mm. And the thing is that with some of the more elite law firms, they're just never, ever going to give up their attachment to the credentials. And it mm. follows you forever. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a million years out of law school. They still want to know which school you went to and how well you did. The only thing that can sort of ameliorate that is if you have millions of dollars of portable business to bring to them. Sometimes that helps them, you know, relax their standards in this one case. So it depends upon where you are applying. For the vast majority of firms, which are not like the top, you know, big law firms, they're going to be more interested in what can you do. Now, that's still going to mean that you've got a huge hurdle to overcome if you did not do well in law school, did not go to a good school, that sort of thing, that's still going to be a problem. But it's kind of a sliding scale, sort of the better you present yourself, the better argument you can make, the more skills you bring to the table, the less they're going to be looking at your credentials. But when you're starting out, you don't have those other things to sell. All you have to sell are your credentials, really. And so it's a getting in the door issue. You're not even going to be able to get in the door to show them what a great person you are and how well you present if you can't get over the hurdle of not going to, you know, a law school or doing as well as their cutoffs. You know, a lot of firms just have cutoffs. We will not look at this school. We will not look at below this grade average at this school. And it's something I've been you know, banging my head up against the wall about for decades as a legal recruiter because I'm dealing with people who have experience and they have more than their law school to sell. And for many firms, they don't care. Your transcript follows you everywhere. And does it depend on the firm as well? I mean, like if you want to get to a white shoe firm, then they would care about that. But maybe you could go to an insurance defensive firm where people try, they need people who can try cases and they don't care if you weren't at a top 10 school on law review. They just Absolutely. want to know. They'll find your fit because if you're somebody who didn't go to a top school, you may not be happy Absolutely. at a white shoe firm because they're never going to treat you the same. Yes, and you're not going to fit in and they're always going to look down their nose at you. It's mm-hmm. just not going to be good. So there's a lot of variety in the legal world. As a legal recruiter, we work with the elites because those are the ones who want to pay our fees. But over the years, we've developed a client base that includes all the way, you know, down from from the mega, mega firms down to very small shops where, I mean, we right now have searches going on where they don't care what school you went to. They want to know, have you done five trials and what's your win-loss record? You know, can you go out and do a deposition? How many appearances have you done? They want to know the roll up your sleeves. Can you make it happen? What are your results? And that is one kind of firm. And then there are other firms that don't even ask those questions. They want to know what school you went to before they even mm-hmm. will let you open your mouth. So there, you have to find your fit. And even beyond that, finding your fit, you want to look for your tribe. 
You want to look for people like you because that's where you're going to be comfortable. And I don't mean non-diverse. That's mm-hmm. a different question altogether. Right. I'm looking for people who have the same kind of interests, background, attitude about practice, that sort of thing. One of the things I tell lawyers who are coming out of the military or have a military background is look for firms where there are other veterans as well because they get you, you get them, and they can appreciate what you can bring to the table. And it's an automatic connection and it's an automatic network that you can use. And it doesn't have to be the military. There can be other things like what schools do people go to? And do they go to a school like yours? And if you're in a city that's not where you went to school and you look up, say you went to, I don't know, I'm just going to make it up, Colgate, which is up, you know, in the Northeast and you're in Texas, look and see who went to Colgate in the town where you want to work and reach out to them because there are not going to be a whole lot of other Colgate grads there, and they may want to have one of their homies to talk to about, you know, where they used to hang out and that sort of thing. You have an automatic connection. So you want to look for places where you can see you might have an automatic connection because you're going to fit in, and they're going to look at you because it makes you different from everybody else that they might be interviewing. Do you have a sense of what states there tend to be more jobs for new lawyers in right now? There actually have been some studies about that, you know, and sometimes they're saying, you know, they're dying for lawyers in North Dakota, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So, um, like in California, for example, you know, they're dying for lawyers in the middle of the state because everybody wants to go to San Francisco, you know, Bay Area or, you know, or L.A. So, you know, there's two different ways to think about it. Number one is you look at where, where the big markets are. You know, like L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, you know, that sort of thing, because obviously that's where a lot of law happens, so that's one way to go. And another way to go is to look at some of second, the secondary markets, you know, where maybe not everybody goes, like Kansas City, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. those kinds of places. Or you can, depending on the kind of practice you want to do, you know, there's probably going to be lots of uh, need for certain kinds of lawyers in more rural areas as well, because there are certain areas of law that I think are sort of more on the consumer side than the business side that are evergreen. No matter what's going on in the economy, there's always going to be need for maybe personal injury lawyers, because accidents always happen, for matrimonial lawyers, because adoptions and divorces, prenups, whatever, go on. I think a really hot area is elder law. Because with the graying of America, there are, there's going to be more need for wealth transfer, wealth management, estate planning, a real niche for people who can deal with, you know, Medicare benefits, nursing home care, you know, elder care issues. There's even real estate. And, you know, the thing about elder care is it touches all kinds of areas, but on the personal level, on the family level. And that's something that's going to be needed all across the country and more all the time. And it might be a little early for them to start thinking about it, perhaps not. Do you have any advice for an attorney who's just getting started in his or her career, what she can think about to recession-proof her practice, you know, for a long time? Never too early to think about it. Never too early to think about it. And the reason I say that is because look at what happened in 2008. It was the associates. 
and even the new attorneys who had offers rescinded or were laid off. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that, as I was mentioning earlier, right now real estate and corporate work is hot and booming, and they were being let go by the droves in 2008, 2009, 2010. So... What you want to do is you want to think about, okay, what happens to my practice in times of an economic downturn? So if I'm doing real estate finance or um, corporate finance right now, I'm putting together deals. When things are bad and things are falling apart, what happens? There's the restructuring and the bankruptcy. So you want to always be learning about the other side of what you're doing so that when things go south, and they will go south again, and they've been going well for a really long time, which makes me scared that there's going to be a correction. I mean, look what happened in the market today. Mm -hmm. So you want to be thinking about, okay, when they're looking to lay off, if there's Associate A and Associate B, Associate A does corporate finance, Associate B does that, but they've also been taking MCLE courses on restructuring, and whenever there has been anything coming in, they've been asking to work on that as well. They're going to have skills the firm can use right now. So Associate B is going to stay, Associate A is going to go. I'm curious because you've been doing executive search work for so long. Do you get a sense of, I mean, do you have a pretty good sense about when the jobs are going to change before everybody's knows uh, it? Can you predict this? I wish I could, but I have to say I'm starting to get nervous now. Well, it's like you said, you're starting to get nervous now. Yeah. Yes. And we've been looking at the press and some of the big firms have been beefing up their restructuring practices. So, yes, there are some, you know, headline cases like uh, Toys R Us is going out of business and things like that right now. So there always are firms that are, you know, falling apart and things are going on. But when things are good, the bankruptcy and restructuring partners are looking around for things to do and law firms are not hiring them. They're trying to hire them now. So I think everybody is kind of looking at What's coming next? The market has been on an upturn now for about 10 years. I mean, there was the down, and it didn't feel like it was up, going up for a while. It's going up for a while, and you know there are new policies, possible trade wars because of the, the you know, the, and this is what I'm talking about, how things change depending on what's going on in the world, you know, with the tariffs that are being imposed, you know, and the new tax codes going on. And, you know, so some things are good, some things are bad. There's some instability right now. So I'm starting to think about what the next cycle is going to be because it is cyclical. It's, you know, no lawyer can go into practice thinking it's going to be one way all the time and this is going to be good all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, even in some of these areas I said we're evergreen, even in divorce law, when the economy was really bad, that impacted family law lawyers as well, too, because people couldn't afford to get divorced. No credit for the retainer. Yep. Exactly. So they just hung in there. So you always have to be looking out. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. One area that kind of stays stable is labor and employment. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that in a bad economy and people being laid off, they look for a way to sue. So that continues to go on. And in California, there's always interesting things going on in labor and employment work because, you know, the joke is that California is its own country when it comes to labor and employment law. And a lot of corporations that might be even headquartered elsewhere want to make sure they have 
someone who's expert in California employment law yeah. on staff because they figure that if that lawyer can handle matters in California, they can handle them anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten calls from, you know, corporations that are based in the Southeast and they're saying we need a California employment lawyer, you know. So that's an area that the actual day-to-day practice might change, but the area is always has got something going on. Got it. That's everything we have time for today, Valerie. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Of course. And listeners, thank you for joining us as well. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered.